Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. I firmly believe that we have the power to attract what we're looking for. If you're looking for ghosts everywhere you go, eventually you'll find one, or the other way around. This story is the reason why I believe in this. My cousin, who was two years younger than me, had just moved to his new house. It was recently built, and it stood behind his grandmother's house. She lived there for four years before moving and leaving the lot to my cousin's mother. I had stayed at his grandmother's multiple times, and nothing ever happened. At the time, I was 11, and my fascination with ghosts was already developing, and because of it, I created a habit of searching for ghost stories from the places that I visited. Sometimes I got a story or two, but most times nothing came up. My cousin's terrain was of the second case. His grandma's house had one bedroom, one bathroom, a kitchen, and a living room. It was almost completely empty, the only two places with furniture being the bedroom, which had a bed and no mattress, and the living room, with a lamp. Scattered throughout the house, boxes with stuff for the new house made it a great spot for playing. The energy was cut from the house since no one lived in it anymore, and the windows were always closed, something common in Brazilian houses since leaving them open is basically inviting burglars in. We never cared about the house, only using it for a hide-and-seek spot. It was me who had the idea to sneak out of my cousin's room in the new house and go to the old one at midnight to tell ghost stories. We left his room with a flashlight, got some snacks in the kitchen, and took off towards the old house. When we entered... It was pitch black, and I hit a box on the entrance corridor. He turned on the flashlight and started thinking if it had been a good idea to even do this. The answer in the back of my head was no. We sat down in the middle of the living room and started. After six or seven tales, my cousin told me that I should make up a story based on the house itself. It sounded like a great idea and I started thinking of something right away. I came up with the story of a family who lived in the house way back, a father, mother, and two kids. I obviously don't remember all of the details, but in the end, the father killed his wife and kids. The wife still walked around the house looking for her children and cursing her husband. We left the house after this was finished and made a deal. We would come back the following night and search for clues. I was a fan of ghost hunting shows, so I loved the idea of pretending to be part of one. The following night, 
we returned to the darkness. He brought some blank pieces of paper to plant around the house to pretend that they were photos of the family from my story. After we spread the papers, we went back to the middle of the living room and started our quote-unquote show. We walked around the house talking about what had happened in each room. We looked for blood stains with our flashlights, pretending that it was a UV light. We must have been playing for a while when my cousin jumped. I asked what was wrong, and he said that he felt something on his leg. We explained it away as a rat, but it happened again soon after. For the first time, I seriously asked if there was someone there with us. Nothing happened. We kept going, trying to make some jokes. The air, though, it, it felt charged and heavy. It was as if the darkness became even darker. We were walking around the bedroom when I felt as if someone was lying on the bed. My cousin noticed something was wrong and asked about what was happening. I was and still am very proud, so I didn't give in. But then I heard someone crying very faintly. It sounded like a fake cry, though, like the ones done to mock someone. I thought it was just me. But my cousin looked even more scared than me. We decided that it was time to leave, but as I was stepping out of the bedroom, I saw this shape in the dark. The bedroom, I forgot to mention, was on the left of a small corridor. In front of it was the bathroom, to the left was the living room, and a straight walk to the front door. The shadow stood some steps before the corridor. It was standing very still. It was darker than the dark, and it didn't move an inch. My cousin was about to leave the bedroom, but I stopped him. I told him to go back inside. He asked why, and I didn't answer. I just told him, do it. After some minutes of him asking me what was going on, I looked out of the room again. It was still there. It neither moved towards nor away from us. I felt like it was taunting me. This time, though, I didn't notice when my cousin left the room. He then looked at it and started to cry. I never felt such guilt before and after that moment. It was my fault that this was happening. I was the older one. I should have known better. I told him to go back inside the bedroom. I did the same. I knew that whatever it was, it wanted us to get close. The only solution I found was to get out through the bedroom window. I opened it quietly and let my cousin out first. After we were out, I looked inside the house one more time, and it was now at the bedroom's door. Standing completely still and crying faintly, as I turned to run to the new house, I heard a whisper that said, Son. We stayed up all night watching cartoons with the lights on. I convinced my cousin we just imagined all of it. I told him about some kind of research that I read. It said that people sometimes imagine the same thing. I was lying, of course, but he didn't know that. From time to time, I would look out his window, dreading what I might see. I don't believe that the house was haunted. In fact, I'm sure that it wasn't. What I think happened is that we opened the doors to something that wanted in. 
Not the ghost of a woman searching for her children, but something else. Something that could wear our belief. It was pure and simple evil. It preyed on us, and it felt malignant. I guess if I could leave some advice to anyone listening, it would be don't mess with stuff that you don't understand, and be careful what you search for because it may find you. When I was eight, my family moved from the suburbs out to the country. I hated it. I missed my friends. I missed my neighborhood. I missed having things to do nearby. It was a big change for me, going from shopping malls and streetlights to dark, winding roads and farms everywhere. This was also the first time I remember hearing tornado sirens. I'm not sure if that triggered this dream. Or maybe I just watched the movie Twister too many times. Over the course of the decade that I lived in this house, I would have a recurring dream about a tornado. Which is odd because tornadoes are very rare where I live. The dream was the same every time. I was home alone, unsure where my parents and younger brother were. I'd hear the siren and would look out the sliding glass door in the living room to watch the clouds. They would get darker and start to swirl. I knew a tornado was coming my way. Sometimes I would see a tornado in the distance, coming towards our house. I would run around, grabbing whatever valuables I had. My cat, my lockbox full of $2 bills and silver dollars, stuffed animals, etc. The items would change depending on my age and what I deemed valuable at the time I was dreaming. I would take everything to the basement and hide in the utility room as it was the farthest from the sliding glass door in the basement. Then I would wait, huddled in a corner, back pressed against the concrete wall, holding my cat as tightly as I could. I would hear the tornado coming. I'd close my eyes and hold everything close to my body, hoping I would survive. Then, I'd hear the house collapsing. Our entire house toppled into a pile of rubble above me. The floors above would buckle, and the rubble would fall into the basement around me. I'd be trapped in the utility room, surrounded by heavy lumber. Alive. Alone. And that's where my dream ended, every single time. I've lost count of how many times I've had this dream. I always survive but I'm always trapped in that tiny room under the stairs without a scratch on me. I didn't talk about the dream much, fearing it would come true if I acknowledged it, but I did decide to share it with my dad one time. After telling him the story, he went quiet for a moment. Then he said, That's so weird. I used to have the same dream, except we were racing home to save you from under the rubble. My body went cold as he proceeded to share details of his dream that completely aligned with mine. It terrified me, 
especially since we have both experienced premonition-type dreams that have come true. I still have tornado dreams to this day, but not the same dream, thankfully. Regardless, I think I'll be afraid of them for the rest of my life. To preface, I currently live in the same house I lived in throughout my childhood. After my family moved out, my husband and I moved in. We live here with our two children, and aside from a few unusual occurrences around the house, our lives here have been fairly typical. Anything unusual that does happen, I'm usually able to explain it. But this occasion was very different. A few weeks ago, my husband and I went out for dinner. After dinner, and a couple of beers, we both decided that we were not cut out for long nights anymore as we were extremely tired. We decided that it was best to cut the night short and head home. My husband is a night owl, so to even have him going to bed at the same time as me is highly unusual, but he got into bed and was asleep as soon as his head hit the pillow. I was relieved knowing he was getting some rest as I knew he was definitely going to have a headache by morning. I put the kids to bed, watched TV for a bit, and went to bed myself. I regularly wake up in the middle of the night as I'm not a heavy sleeper. Most times I'll get up and use the bathroom, refill my water, or just go check on the kids and return to bed. This night I woke up and got out of bed and began walking towards our bedroom door. I turned to look at our youngest, fast asleep in our bed, and as my eyes scanned the dark room, I made out a silhouette. It was a silhouette of my husband. He was leaning his body against the nightstand and looked as if he were doubled over as he continued to press his weight against the table and hold his head. I looked at him for one second, feeling sorry for him, and I decided that I would go get some water and return to bed. I walked out of the room and straight into the bathroom across the hall. I quickly filled a glass of water for him and walked back in. As I scanned the room again, I didn't see him. I knew I had just seen him 30 seconds prior, awake and hunched over his nightstand. I blinked hard, letting my eyes adjust to the light. But they didn't deceive me. He was there. At least, he was no longer standing in front of the nightstand, I guess. I called out to him, asking if he was all right, but when I crept closer to him, he was fast asleep and snoring. He didn't even respond. Now, my husband has never experienced any cases of sleepwalking, and honestly, this did not seem like what had happened. With our youngest child in bed, any movement of him getting in and out of bed would have caused her to stir and would have woke her up completely, just like him. She was fast asleep and snoring. How would someone go from wide awake, doubled over, as if in pain or discomfort, to fast asleep in 30 seconds? I racked my brain, trying to come up with any logical explanation, but for the next few hours, I lay in bed thinking of what this shadowy figure, looming next to the bed, could have been. I never brought this up to my husband, as I didn't want to scare him or concern him. 
especially our children, but it's bothered me ever since. Now, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I move quickly and I keep my eyes low. I avoid looking at the nightstand and into dark corners or hallways for fear that I'll see this shadow figure again. Whatever it was, I hope that it was not a negative entity, but rather a guardian of some sort. Maybe wishful thinking. My mom passed away when I was 18 at the end of 2020 after a two-year battle with lung cancer. My mom was my best friend, and losing her was truly the most devastating thing I've ever experienced. One day, a little less than a year after her passing, I was having a particularly hard day and wished I could just go to her house and vent to her about it. I cried myself to sleep only to fall into a dream where I was lying on the floor of a blank, white room, absolutely sobbing my eyes out. I didn't feel scared. All I could feel was sadness. Until my mom approached me. She had this faint light radiating off her as she sat down next to me and played with my hair, then scooped me up and cradled me like a baby as I cried. She didn't say a word. I woke up and felt as though I had actually spent time with her. My second experience like this actually happened when I was having a really good week. A lot has changed in my life. A lot of good things that I know she'd be so proud of. I'm a music teacher and I awoke in a dream where I was hosting a recital of sorts. My mom came up to me, absolutely ecstatic over what I was doing, and gave me a big hug. She didn't leave my side for what felt like an hour or so, and I told her all about the things she wasn't able to be here for. After a while, she hugged me again and said, I have to go now, but before I go, can we take a picture? I said of course, and she pulled out her phone to take a selfie. But when she looked at the photo we took, I didn't show up in it. She tried over and over until she looked up in disappointment and said, I guess that's not allowed. I woke up after that. I know I could write this off as me just missing my mother and my inner child longing for her to hold me again as I cry, but there's something about these dreams that just seems out of my control. I truly believe my mom is visiting me to say hi. Hey mom, if you can hear this, I'd love to see you again soon. As a warning, this story does contain some references to self-harm. Listener discretion is advised. I've been wanting to share this story with more people who believe in the paranormal to get more opinions on it. I've told my family, and everyone just jokes about it. My biological dad died when I was two. Everyone who met him says that he was their favorite person in the world. 
He had always wanted a child and was told that he wasn't going to be able to have one. So when I was born, he was elated. He said that I was the reason God put him on earth. The day that he died, he and my mom got into a fight because he wanted to take me to the river to celebrate Memorial Day weekend with his friends and she didn't feel like it was a safe place for a baby to be, so she didn't let him take me. He drowned in the river later that day. My mom said that around the time the coroner said he died, I started crying. I didn't stop crying until she got the call from the police. Fast forward about five years, and my mom is dating a new man, and he's moving into our tiny two-bedroom house. My brother and I shared a room. We had bunk beds where I slept on top and he slept on the bottom because he's only three. The stairs were on my side of the bed where my head lay because of the way the top bed was positioned. The bottom bed was turned to an angle. If you were to try and get onto my bed on the opposite side, you'd have to step onto my brother's bed and lift yourself up about four feet. On the first night that my stepdad slept at our house, my mom tucked my brother in and I climbed onto my bed and went to sleep about 20 minutes after he fell asleep. I fell asleep pretty quickly, but began to have this feeling in my dream that someone was watching me. I woke up scared. I was scared of the dark, but my mom refused to get me a nightlight because she said that it would keep my brother up. So there was absolutely no light in this room, and the door was shut. I opened my eyes and I sat up. I saw him. He was this bright blue light. It seemed like he was glowing, but he didn't leave a shadow, and the glow wasn't bright enough to light anything else up. It was just him. He was staring at me, but he didn't have a face. No eyes, no mouth, or anything. I was terrified, paralyzed with fear. As a seven-year-old, this was a nightmare. We just stared at each other until he began to move closer. I hid under my blanket, telling myself to go to sleep. I heard a man, not my stepdad, call my name. I began to cry and fell asleep soon after that. The next day I slept in so late, my mom said that it was almost noon. She had to come into my room and shake me awake. I cried all over again. I was asking her if she was sitting on my bed last night and she told me no that she and my stepdad ended up going out that night after we fell asleep and my aunt was babysitting us. When she asked my aunt, she said that no one was ever in our room and that she fell asleep on the couch at around 1 a.m. She and my mom were denying that they were in my room and this scared me. I didn't want to sleep there the following night, but I never saw him again after that day. Up until I was 16, I would hear him calling my name, though. It started off at random times. I'd be walking in the hallway at school or washing dishes at home. But when I was in eighth grade, I started to self-harm, and I would hear him calling my name before I did it, and it would make me hesitate. Every single time, it was like a guardian angel. During this time, I was also very religious and had read stories of Samuel and the temple and I asked my pastor if the voice I was hearing was God. He, of course, said yes, so when I was alone one day, I heard it again. I called out, here I am, just like Samuel did, and I waited and waited, but nothing. 
In fact, I never heard it again at all. After that day, the voice was gone forever. I'm no longer religious, and I honestly doubt it was God trying to speak to me. I just began to tell myself it was my biological dad helping me the only way that he could. That could be my sad way of coping with his death, but I don't know. It still scares me just thinking about it. But I'm also grateful for the voice because I wouldn't be here to tell this story if I hadn't heard it all those years ago. I almost miss it. My experience took place during my first camping trip to Big Bend National Park. I convinced four of my girlfriends to go camping with me. Surprised but excited that they had agreed to join, we hopped into a rental truck and drove 11 hours to West Texas. We arrived at our campground at the Chisos Basin and went out to explore as soon as we set things up. We were exhausted that night, so we all quickly fell asleep despite the 30-degree weather. The following day was another day full of hiking. We weren't as tired as we were the night before, so we took the opportunity to enjoy the wonders of a dark night in Big Bend. I want to know that I wasn't knowledgeable about Big Bend. My main focus when visiting a national park is the trails, sites, and campgrounds. My knowledge of the park aside from the hiking trails, only consisted of knowing that Big Bend is an underrated national park. It's located on the Mexican border in the Chihuahuan Desert, and it's big. I later found out that Big Bend is one of the darkest places on Earth, declared an international dark sky. Before knowing that fun fact, I can tell you I definitely felt that darkness. To give some perspective, I felt like I was floating in darkness when I turned off my flashlight. It was a feeling of complete loneliness, although I knew my friends were around. I thought to myself, so this is what it would feel like if I were floating alone in the universe. My girlfriends and I shared my family's tent during the trip. We took off the cover to gaze at the starry night before falling asleep. At one point in the night, I woke up. I didn't have that groggy feeling you get when you wake up but still feel half asleep. I just wasn't sleepy anymore. I felt the need to pee after a while, but the 30 degree temperature discouraged me from getting up. I was lying in my sleeping bag contemplating whether to walk into the cold, and a few minutes later, I heard it. Loud, clear, and crisp. The sound was a moaning cry coming from a woman who sounded like she was asking for help. The intensity of the cry was loud, but the frequency was low. It's hard to explain, but she sounded like she was trying to keep her voice down. The eerie part is that it sounded like she was in the tent. She cried three times. All three cries had a different wailing pattern, but with a similar rhythm. The first cry had stops in between and built up in intensity. The second cry was the loudest, 
with no stops in between. The third cry lowered in intensity and faded. Her cries gave the impression she was being held captive and wanted to get away, as if she had been crying for a while and wanted help. The crying stopped after a few minutes. I laid there, eyes wide, breathless, and not moving. I wanted to remain still and quiet, to listen closely to my surroundings. I wanted to know who I had just heard. For a split moment when she was crying, I felt a sense of urgency to help her. I didn't hear any footsteps outside our tent, or any other noise at all. The night went back to being still and silent. I snapped myself out of it when I analyzed the situation. Why would I hear that from inside our tent? I didn't hear any of my friends move or make a sound. I figured they were all asleep, and one of them was probably just having a nightmare. I thought, how silly of me, and chuckled. Still, I was a bit freaked. I shut my eyes tight and fell asleep, even with a full bladder. The next morning, my friends and I immediately started talking about the sound. I thought if I was just imagining things, then maybe it could have been Eileen? But Erica was sleeping next to her, and she insisted it wasn't Eileen. Erica thought that maybe it was Sarah, but I was lying next to her. I know it was not Sarah. She swore it wasn't her, and told us that after the crying stopped, she wanted to walk outside to see if anyone was around. We all responded, That's how you get killed. None of us heard the sounds of footsteps outside our tent and we didn't have any neighboring campsites. Eileen, who was a heavy sleeper, was still asleep as we went back and forth trying to figure out who the cries belonged to. We woke her up to ask her if she had heard anything. She said she didn't, but was baffled that the rest of us heard it, but no one said anything as it happened. That was true. We couldn't explain why we didn't say anything as it happened. Now that I think about it, I think it was because we didn't want to face whatever it was. The cries were bone-chilling and sad. We kept silent for a few moments, processing all we knew. We dropped the subject after we figured we couldn't find a conclusion and packed up our campsite. During our 11-hour drive back to Houston, we researched the park. We found that Big Ben is one of the most haunted national parks. The Chisos Mountains, where we camped, got their name from the Spanish word Echisos, which means bewitched. It's also speculated that Chisos is an Apache word for ghost or spirit. For centuries, Big Ben's inhabitants have known the Chisos Mountains in the park as the Ghost Mountains. The Big Bend area has also been the home of six Native American tribes, Spanish and Mexican soldiers, and U.S. troops over the centuries. There have been many reports of sightings from many hikers and campers, from orbs of light floating around the park, thought to be from alien spacecraft, to the sounds of mining echoing from a mine that once operated in the park. And of course, many ghost sightings. The report that got to us the most was that of a young indigenous woman 
Her howls have been described as cries or wailings on the mountains, and there are many different theories about her origin. She has been given the nickname, The Howling Woman. Eileen was the only one in the group to be the most accepting of a supernatural encounter. She believed the spirit entrusted a campsite of young women and approached us to share her sorrow and ask for help. I've told this story to friends. I've had some skeptical friends explain that sounds travel differently in the wilderness. Therefore, that sound could have come from somewhere else and changed in frequency and pitch when it arrived to us. Well, sure, but that disregards the fact that the sound was coming from inside the tent. To that, they've said it was probably an echo that reached us and bounced into the tent. My counter-argument is that echoes are more prominent on smooth and rigid surfaces. A tent is porous. But for argument's sake, let's say it wasn't a spirit we heard. The other alternative is that what we heard was an actual woman. If given a choice, I'd pick experiencing a ghostly visit, so I'll choose to believe that we were visited by a spirit in our tent. I wish for the howling woman to find peace, but from the sounds of it, she is doomed to forever roam the park in sorrow. This experience hasn't deterred me from the park, though. I have visited again and plan to visit as much as I can. I haven't experienced another encounter but I won't be surprised if I do in the enchanted land that is Big Bend. I really liked the tornado dream story from this week. Yeah, it scared me. I tried to analyze it a bit. Keep in mind, like with everything else, this is just like fan theory rather than yeah. expert opinion. This is a fan fiction podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when I think of tornadoes, the first thing that comes to mind is chaos. Mm -hmm. They're scary, unpredictable. They can just destroy your life out of the blue. You're done. Tornadoes, bad news. And I know one of my biggest fears is somehow or some way losing everything and being left with absolutely nothing. And I think a tornado is the perfect visual metaphor for that. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing, kind of along the same lines where it's really just a fear of everything falling apart, losing everything. It's just a fear of catastrophe. Yes. And feeling helpless. And then the dad having the dream of losing the one he loves the most. It's kind of this, it, it's the same thing where they're also fearing the worst thing happening, which is losing the child, losing their family, right. losing somebody close to them. So it's interesting that they would sync up with the same type of dream. Like it, they were both about tornadoes. I, I don't know how, I don't know if that is some kind of omen for something that bad is going to happen or if it is just a representation of their fears i don't know that's what i think it is i really do think for the most part our dreams are our inner fears our subconscious worryings or desires in some cases but nightmares especially i think those are all representations of things that we're very fearful about yeah whether we realize it or not yeah i agree 
it's uh it's something that I did talk about on Morbid when I was on there a couple of weeks ago. I think that episode was just released. You guys should be able to listen to that now. But we were talking about dream synchronization and I kind of told them a story about one that I had as a kid with my mom and we've shared it on the podcast. I don't need to jump into it, but the idea, I think it's called dream meshing, the idea of purposefully entering a dream with somebody. Mm -hmm. It's uh, instead of an accident, you can do it on purpose. We should actually try this. There's this one way to do, I don't know if it was in Stephen LeBurge's book, He's a psychopsychologist that studies dreams and lucid dreams. He's written a lot of uh, good information, books and stuff about the topic. But there is one experiment that you can do where you and a friend who is an avid dreamer or is has experience with lucid dreaming in the past, both of us, we could do this together. Mm-hmm. You do something together during the day at the same time. And then mm-hmm. when you go to bed that night, all you do is think about that until you fall asleep and you fall asleep with the intention to go into a dream doing that thing in the same place. So for instance, right now we could take advantage of the fact that we're sitting here at the computer together and think about that when we go to bed and try to dream a situation where we're podcasting together, just like we're doing right now. Uh. Maybe we can become lucid and we can talk to each other in that dream. Uh, but dream meshing, it's interesting. I've never really done it myself, but it would be cool if it worked for us. Worth a yeah. shot. Worth <laughs> a shot. Because I don't think we've ever had a dream occurring on the same night at the same place. So what if the dream world really is connected? It's just that nobody's having dreams on the same night in the same location very often. Yeah. Or they're just not remembering them. It's so hard right. to remember dreams. You forget about them so quickly after you wake up, mm-hmm. unless you log them down immediately, which is the hardest exercise to do. The hardest exercise to do is keeping a dream journal. Cause when you wake up, the last thing you want to do is write out <laughs> on a piece of paper or on your phone, everything that you just dreamed about. Yeah, I still do it, but I hate doing it. I don't do it as much as I should, but we should try it out. I think it'd be cool. There, there are studies. There was, I remember reading about a study from years ago, maybe five, six years ago, about a group of lucid dreamers. It might have just been a group of random people. What they studied was if they could do this exercise, this intention of synchronizing their dreams. And this, the results were actually surprisingly good. Hmm. Some of them, if I remember right, and I'm, I'm, I could be completely wrong here because it's been so long since I read about this. Some of them, they were in different places, but they still dreamt uh, being with the other person. It's just they were their locations were rendered differently in each of their dreams, but they still met up with the other person. So it may be that we end, I end up dreaming about podcasting with you at the computer and you may end up dreaming about uh, being on a walk with me along a babbling brook, a peaceful babbling brook with, with a, uh, a, a fairy in the back playing a flute and, and a, a yellow brick road. I'm thinking of Happy Valley. Happy Valley. There we go. Happy Valley. Yeah. Happy Valley. Yeah. You're looking a little tired there, champ. Everything all right? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty tired. I've been missing out on sleep and I I was out too late the other night. I don't like I don't like to be out late anymore. It's probably just with age. I like to get in bed at a decent time and I have not been getting bed at a decent time. We went out to a comedy show. Now, I'm a big fan of live comedy. I've always liked going to stand-up shows, especially at clubs. I've only ever been to one theater comedy show and 
I, I enjoyed it because I enjoyed that comedian, had a good time, but the, it didn't feel like a comedy show. It felt like a show. It felt like a performance because they're on this big stage and you're out in the audience, you know. That's why I don't really like actual big concerts. I like yeah. going to shows, venues, not concerts, getting assigned seating and here we are. <laughs> you know, it's just weird. Yeah, as soon as you call something a concert or it's at a theater, I'm not really on board. Yeah, an arena. Exactly. We did it this time because I wanted to see the headliner. I'm not going to say who it was, but the uh, when we sat down, it was just like, the person behind us, okay, here, let me just start it this way. Do you remember that time we went to go see Mount Erie? Yes. And there was a person there that was trying to have a fucking conversation. Yeah. With the yeah. act. With Phil, with Phil, yeah. Exactly. They were trying to have a conversation with him, like, he, <laughs> like his banter. Mid-set, yeah. Yeah, his banter in between, he would say something, you know how when blah, 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 she would go, yeah, definitely. And we, we looked at each other like, oh my God. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, like she thought he was talking to her. That was fantastic. It was a great show, but that just kind of ruined it because it just took because yeah. he's such like a very intense, emotional guy in his music. I just wanted to get into it, but it was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But there's this episode of Seinfeld with this woman who basically sits in the audience and heckles uh, uh, Jerry. But then there's another part of the episode where she sits in the audience and laughs too loud at everything. And she goes, oh, my God. Yes. Oh, yeah. I totally know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. That's who I was sitting in front of. Wow. It was this woman that thought she was having a conversation with the comedian all throughout and she was laughing extremely loud right in our ear. I turned around and I wanted to say something, but her boyfriend or husband was one of the biggest, scariest guys I've ever seen in my life. <clears throat> so I couldn't. He he looked like he was ready, like he was just ready to flip on somebody. He, he probably knew. He was probably irritated with her and didn't want to go, didn't want to say anything. But she was the absolute worst. The guy next to me, he wasn't too much bigger than me, but he was like visibly sighing and like rubbing his head. Oh. And his wife, I kind of got irritated because his girlfriend or wife was like giving him like a shotsu massage or something. And she just wouldn't stop. And I was just like, guys, we're, it was so sensual. I was like, <laughs> what are we doing here? What is happening? And then I didn't, I realized she was trying to calm him down because he was so pissed off about the woman behind us having a conversation with the fucking comedian. And we just, during the opener, we actually got up and went to go get drinks and go to the bathroom and just get out of there. Cause the opener, I, and I don't even, I don't want to say names, but he was doing like Pablo Francisco bits. He was doing voices <laughs> and like jokes that you'd hear on Comedy Central from the nineties. It was, it was cringy. It was bad. So we were like, we can get out of here. So we go and we sit back down. And then as soon as our guy comes up, she kicks it into high gear and it's twice as much. <laughs> She's like trying to come up with punchlines for him. Like he'll set up the joke and she'll try to do a punchline. And how did she not get kicked out? That's what I was going to say. If this were at a comedy club, any kind of club, if this were at one of my fucking shows, she would have been booted immediately. The waitress would have came around and been like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go. We were at, we went to go see Whitney Cummings recently and we were five feet away from the stage. She was the, the table next to us. Before Whitney even started, waitress came by. She's like, if you keep this up, I'm going to have to kick you out because she was being oh, nice. so loud and obnoxious. And that's when I decided I'll, I don't think I'm ever going to go to a theater show again. Because the rules go out the window. Yeah. When you're when you're at a small club or something, everything's so quiet and intense, you can't have that shit. Right. When it's an actual comedy club and they follow proto, you gotta yeah. do that. 
anyways, it just, it was such a nightmare of a night. We got home late and it just ruined the whole night. And then I, I couldn't sleep that night because of the dogs. Then I got up and had a bunch of work to do. And then last night, the dogs were driving me crazy. Gadget, she's a puppy. She's been going nuts in the middle of the night, just barking at nothing, keeping us up like a newborn would. And yeah, you're right. I am tired. I'm not getting enough sleep. And I'm sorry that I just went on a big rant and a grind my gears segment. Um, I didn't want to do that, but I had to share. share. It's okay. I'll air out my dirty laundry next episode. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) We should have a grind my gears segment where I feel like, hey, it's okay. Just let it out. Just let it out. Yeah. Maybe, you know, next, next week we'll be feeling better. It'll be the holidays. We'll get some rest. We'll get on a good sleep schedule True. for next week. Since it's going to be Christmas, uh, we're going to do something a little different. It just for a one-off episode, it's just going to be this. It's going to be just me and Brandon shooting the shit, conversational stuff. We'll talk about some stories. Probably everything. Yeah, anything and everything that's going on. We'll talk about the holidays. But if you have anything, uh, any questions, like if you want us to do a Q&A, email us some of your questions. We'd be glad to address those in this episode. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. People have asked for us to do this sort of thing for a while now. So yeah, here we go. Merry Christmas. And for those listening Monday morning, happy Hanukkah to you. We didn't want to take the weekend off. We want to put stuff out every single weekend. We just didn't. We weren't going to be able to uh, put together an episode with stories and everything with the holidays coming up and us being out of town, all that that type of stuff. So this was uh, sort of our gift to you so that you're not left without this weekend. I know you're going to be visiting your family for Christmas and you're going to be so freaking bored after dinner's over. All your parents and uncles and aunts are talking about politics and you're just like, oh, God, just Stick in those headphones and listen to us to shoot the shit for a little while. I've always liked Christmas Eve more. I agree. It's such an exciting, like, it's the night before, all the anticipation. We even, my parents would let me open a present Christmas Eve. Yeah. Like, one present was always the rule. That's right. And then the rest on Christmas morning. But we, we could save this stuff for next week. This is <sighs> good Christmas talk. Christmas Eve. I got the chills now. The Christmas <laughs> chills. But yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Don't forget about that episode. Uh, if you need some a bit of escape on the holiday, you can listen to us. And I will also have a new episode of uh, Let's Not Meet Out. Everything will will be released as usual. Um, y'all enjoy your holidays if we miss you. And uh, we will see you next week. This week you have heard What I Was Looking For Found Me by Rodrigo, Shared Dream by Nicole, Shadow Husband by Nicole, My Mom Likes to Visit Me in My Dreams by Liv, Blue Man by Daniel, and finally The Howling Woman of Big Bend by Karina. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Make sure you send your stories in to stories at oddtrails.com. And don't forget to sign up for our Patreon. If you want to get ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience. We'll see you all next week. Stay safe. Peace out.